Hello and welcome to Animalia, the podcast all about animals and the weird and interesting things that they do. I'm Annie. I'm Farley. And I'm David. So in our last episode, we went looking for a particular kind of duck. A tufted duck. And if you haven't listened to that episode yet, I highly recommend listening to that first. But assuming you have, then David. Yes. So I was in Sweden recently where tufted ducks are native to um, in other parts of Europe, it turns out. And after much searching, um, I've seen two tufted ducks in their native habitat after traveling 15,000 kilometers to do it. I was on holiday as well. I wasn't there just ducks. <laughs> but, um, He's a very committed birder now. I so, would, God. I would like to remind everyone too that at the end of our search for the tufted duck at Werribee, David said he didn't think he would ever try birding on his own. I can't see myself doing this on my own and just... I'm probably too impatient, to be honest. And then when he's on holiday, he was just sending us all these updates of like, <laughs> I haven't seen a tufted duck yet, guys, but I'm looking. <laughs> so many updates. Like <laughs> multiple no. multiple ponds were no, searched for the tufted duck. Yeah. You well, went out yes. of your way. You went out of your way to see it. Oh, yeah. Like, I was asking my friends in Sweden, have you seen this duck? And they're like, <laughs> and they're like yeah, we have. How was it? It was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> describe, describe. Describe. Describe your joy when you first laid your eyes upon the tufted duck. Um, well, first of all, I was messaging you guys that day already because I <laughs> started to give up hope and I found a map. I was in Stockholm on the, I think it was the Jur Garden, the Animal Garden, which is an island. And the map had a picture of a tufted duck on it. So it's like... <laughs> This must be the right direction. Um, so you were on a treasure hunt for the tufted duck. Yeah, it's like they have to be here somewhere. And did, I just did, wait, did you go there with intention of just seeing a tufted duck? I was doing other things first. Went those museums. I was going to museums. Oh god, I thought you were just doing a full birding day. <laughs> <laughs> I found a whole heap of ducks that were just, I guess, ordinary ducks. Ordinary, yes. The the that's, standard yeah, duck. That's, that's the standard duck, yeah, as you stand, all know. Standard yeah. ducks. Birders will love this. Yeah, yeah. it's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> the standard duck. Yeah. Yep. And sort of off to the side of them was just a single tufted duck, a male one. So it had the, the white window under its wing. I oh, yeah. know them very well, how to <laughs> how they look now <laughs> from searching so much. Did you could you did you get a glimpse of the tuft? Yeah, yeah. Um, very subtle, I guess. Yeah, very subtle. At, yeah. at distance, but yeah. it's quite exciting, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so you felt the uh, yeah. the excitement, the endorphins were released when you finally saw the rare bird. Welcome. Yeah. Welcome to my world. Thanks. Yeah, <laughs> Did you actually experience this? Is that was that your experience? It sounds strange. I, I feel like my heart skipped a beat. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> It sounds weird now as it's like I went to its native territory and it's like, yeah, they're, they're common here. They live here. It's not like the one in Australia that we're trying to find. So, hey, But it could have been. Maybe <laughs> tucked in. in the same duck. <laughs> um, what do we call him again? What was his name? Bruce. Brucey. Yeah, maybe yeah. Brucey flew all the way back just to show himself off to you in Sweden. <laughs> and later that day, I saw a female tufted duck as well. And yeah, I have photos of both of them. So That's awesome. Yeah. We did it. We did it finally. We seriously did it. After that day, I did not expect you ever to go looking for any kind of bird, let alone the one bird we didn't see. 
feel like you guys would be disappointed if I didn't go searching for one in Sweden. No, I would not yeah. have been at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I'm so much happier knowing you did it, though. Okay. That's good. It is good. Well, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Well, how was the rest of your journey? Uh, just amazing. So Went- where did you go to start off with? It was over six weeks. Went to Italy, Austria, Germany, Holland, Denmark, Sweden, and Norway. God, it's ridiculous. <laughs> but when I was up north in the Arctic Circle, very northern tip of Sweden and Norway, it was summer when I was there, 24 hours of daylight. So it's hard to sleep if there's no good curtains or if you're out camping like some people I met were. And I guess question for Annie... All the mm. animals up there, how do they know when yeah. it's nighttime, when it's not nighttime? So the daily rhythms that we have in our behaviour are very driven by light. So light is sort of the signal that synchronises our internal clock with external time. That's how we basically link these things up. Mm-hmm. And so if you take away light or you just have constant light, then it just really messes with that process. So... So you found you had you found it difficult to sleep? Um, well, the first place I stayed in had no windows, so that solved that issue. Perfect. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was just pitch black at night. Yeah. Um, second place I stayed in Norway had this very flimsy cushion, so the room was just constantly just yeah. light. Not so good. Not so good. But yeah. So for animals out in that environment, um, there's kind of three things they can do. They can just be completely just constantly active when the sun is up so it's Mm -hmm. just doesn't matter they're just active at any time of day they just become they lose all their rhythms and behavior the second thing they can do is they synchronize their sort of rhythms with something a bit more subtle so it might be just you know basically how bright it is but even though it doesn't ever get totally dark it's something more like that or in Mm -hmm. winter it might be you know the sun the sky gets a little bit brighter but it's still yeah the sun never rises And the third thing they can do is just they rely only on their internal clock to keep time. So that's referred to as free running rhythms. So they're, and they don't tend to be exactly 24 hours. They can sort of start to skew a bit over time. And yeah, and research in of animals in polar regions has sort of shown they can do any of those things. And even, even within species and like it can differ between males and females, which kind of strategy they have or, and even whether or not they're breeding the activity patterns can completely shift so they can have really, really weird and really different activity patterns in polar regions. It's kind of cool. Do certain species tend to have certain particular types of methods to avoid? Uh, Or is there not really any examples of that? So, like, for example, reindeer, they tend to just not have rhythms at those times of year and they sort of have weak rhythms all throughout the year. So you might remember... In our very first episode where we interviewed Dr. John Lesky about sleep, he talked a little bit about sandpipers that breed up in the Arctic Circle. And so these birds, some of the males, not all of them, but some of the males will pretty much give up sleep when they're breeding. And what they found when they studied these birds is that the males that sleep the least have the greatest reproductive success because basically they have more time to spend attracting a female that's light all the time anyway in summer and yeah i think the most interesting thing that john 
that podcast told us about too is the fact that that is, I believe, the only example of withholding sleep actually benefiting an animal. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's something too where maybe we're going to find more and more examples of that as we keep looking for them. But yeah, an example basically where an animal just giving up sleep almost entirely had better reproductive success, so had more babies, and there didn't seem to be any costs for at least in the next year for its survival, which is really interesting. So maybe maybe some animals can evolve to just pretty much give up their sleep. Should say too, they still slept a little bit, just really not much. So in this study, in the most extreme example, one male was awake for more than 95% of the time for a period lasting 19 days. And so in comparison, so, and so there was just a huge amount of variation as well. So the shortest sleeping male would sleep maybe two hours per day, whereas the longest it was nearly eight hours per day. So it's quite different. Hugely different, yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, so it seems like in the Arctic, it just promotes these really diverse strategies for how do you cope when it's just constant daylight. Mm. It should be interesting to look at is actually foraging efficiency up in the north. Do they just forage consistently all throughout the day? So if you have these interesting wake patterns, you just forage more often as well? Yeah. Because it pretty much opens up 24 hours of foraging. Well, that's that's kind of interesting too because um, so I think – I think in some places it gets kind of too cold to forage at some times of day because the temperature still varies a bit, so it's a bit too frozen. Another thing is that herbivorous animals seem to be more likely to have these kind of more arrhythmic random patterns of activity because it's sort of like they can forage at any time of day. They're not depending on light necessarily to be able to see their food either. So, So with reindeer that might also help explain why they have, you know, it's constant daylight and they just have no real rhythm in their activity patterns. Because why would you if you don't have to? Yeah. You just forage, take a nap, forage, fake a nap, forage. Yeah, exactly. Sounds like heaven. And then the winter doesn't really affect them, I guess, when it's completely dark. They just keep doing their thing. Yeah, exactly. Same kind of deal, I think. Mm. And yeah, they, their rhythms of activity are pretty weak to begin with, as in terms of it's not particularly synchronized with time of day. Mm cool yeah it's very cool in our next episode we'll be talking about stink and about scales and about spines so tune in for that and before we go for the listeners that do care annie actually just amazingly completed her phd she submitted it she still has to wait a bit before she actually can graduate but (laughs) the hard work for the most part is done it is done and she is now a free woman living an adult life and no longer trapped in the PhD world. So huge congratulations, Annie. Yeah. It's awesome. We're currently eating home-baked cookies. That's the amount of time I have right now. It's great. <laughs> Actually, we're currently looking at the list of things she can do when she's finished. And the first thing crossed out is watch all of the Lord of the Ring movies. <laughs> so you can tell how much free time she actually has. A lot. <laughs> Hopefully more podcasting. Hopefully more podcasting. Yes. All right. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Animalia Podcast is hosted by Annie Allsbrook and Farley Connolly, with occasional interjections by me, the sound engineer David Roker. Our logo is designed by Osvaldo Branklin and all original music is by Sean Pratt.